What? <laughs> Ooh, that was in stereo. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Wasn't Countdown to Record a Steely Down album? Or Oh, no, I hope no. so. Uh, actually, it was Countdown to Ecstasy. Never mind. Oh, I just noticed something. I started the recording, and I noticed that there's no check mark in the feedback protection box, hmm? which is amazing. I had been screaming about that because I use GarageBand to record when we do our podcast. Actually, any podcast I do, I use GarageBand to do the initial recording. Uh-huh. And usually the feedback protection is usually automatically on. Usually it's usually, hmm, sorry for the redundancy there. But the thing is, it's super hypersensitive and thinks like the slightest little sound is feedback and it automatically stops. Hmm. It's like, we've detected feedback in your recording. Oh, we thought we'd better warn you. You know what the irony is? Is that you're using GarageBand and you don't have a GarageBand. Irony. The thing is, people say that the lyrics in uh, Ironic by Alanis Morissette aren't really irony at all. I, I disagree, because what I learned in English class in high school is that irony is when something that you don't expect to happen, happens. Like, if you don't expect rain on your wedding day, then it is irony if it rains on your wedding day. However, that having been said, if you go by what everybody thinks irony is, it's uh, that song is either the stupidest or the most brilliant song ever written. Mm. Because there's nothing, if there is nothing ironic in the song, then that by definition means the song itself is ironic. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember some years ago, somebody on NPR actually record. I think it was NPR, where somebody recorded a cover of ironic that actually did have what they consider to be ironies throughout the lyrics so i i don't know wait what are we doing again Uh, i don't know what is this oh it's um pie factory podcast episode 84 i believe 84 is correct you are correct sir 84 and uh this is um your charming and delightful sean coming from pie factory headquarters north in uh the borough of um, Chicago. And snot-nosed little Jimmy G in Morris. And Morris, yeah. So how are things over at uh, Pie Factory Logistics Center? Well, I'm glad you asked. Oh, you want me to actually answer the question? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Why? Well, um, I've been, uh, been, been, you know, busy doing, you know, a lot of things, a lot of missions uh, around the world. Um, Ooh, I've actually been... Uh, I've been beta testing um, Mr. Do for the Atari 5200. Oh, and, that's awesome! Um, so far, it looks pretty good. There's a couple of little bugs. It's a uh, it's a it's a it's a port of the Atari 8-bit version to the 5200. It pretty much plays like the Atari 8-bit version. Truth be told, not a huge fan of the Atari 8-bit version, just for the hmm. one reason being that it just doesn't seem to control correctly. Really? And you know, it's kind of hard to explain. That's um, the only game I've ever played on the uh, 600XL so far. Really? Yeah, I still haven't really taken full advantage of this thing. Well, that's a shame because that's a the, the Atari 8 bits are a great little line of computers. But uh, so I've been testing I've been testing that out and it, it plays fine. There's a little graphical glitch that doesn't look like it's going to be ironed out in time for the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, but uh, uh. they expect it to be ironed out 
not too much longer, so everybody will have a have a shot at, at purchasing that before too long. But I already actually have a, a copy, thanks to uh, Albert over at Atari Age, and with the uh, label and everything. So that's that's quite nice. Speaking of Mister Dew, I think it was uh, I think it was Phil who tweeted about this. Oh, I know what you're gonna. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so but I can't find the tweet now, even if I click on his account on the No Swear Gamer account. Oh, I can grab it. Uh, real quick. Oh, you know what? It might be under tweets and replies. See, I, I don't like Twitter. I really don't. I have a hard time with it. I don't quite understand it myself. Yeah, so, oh, here it is. Yeah. Uh, and look what someone local is trying to sell on Facebook. And he tagged uh, he tagged us and he tagged uh, Ferg. Ferg. It was in replying to Soundtrack. Uh, it, was, it was in reply to Andrew Feldman, actually, who was recently on uh, Please Stand By. It's a Mr. Do slot machine. And I noticed there was a diamond on the reel uh, in the picture. And does that mean that the person gets a free uh, a free game? I think they just get a free pull of the uh, handle. Ah, being a slot machine is probably some bonus round, but it's not a video slot, though, so. No, no, it's a video it's slot. A, they would have some sort of fun little mini game to, to play. Yeah. I, I don't do much gambling anymore. I never really did a whole lot, but I it's been years since I've been to a casino because the rules are just so stacked up against us low rollers. Oh yeah, in that's fact, how I'm it such hurts. a low roller that I consider myself a pathetic roller. Oh, that's that's how they stay in business. No, that is true. I mean, the few times my wife and I gambled, we were playing just blackjack, and it was more just for the social fun of it. Like, yeah, blackjack we, we, is a. But you got to watch the rules, though. You don't. Yeah. Make sure that you don't play six five blackjack because that's the big one of the biggest ripoffs in the casino. It's still better than a slot machine. That's still pretty. That's pretty much the only thing that's out there nowadays. Just six five. Yeah, only in the single deck and single deck and low uh, low roller blackjack. The higher up in denomination you go, the better better odds you get. It's, it's a Vegas, terrible it's blackjack game, but it's still better than most slot machines. And um, the thing with slot machines is uh, people like play penny or nickel slots because they're like, well, I don't have a whole lot of money, and I'll just play a few of this. Some nickel and penny slot machines, if you play all of the pay tables and all of the pay lines, you're talking five bucks a spin. So hmm. you watch yeah. out for that, because uh, watch out yeah. for what? Watch out for snakes. Watch out for pay tables. Oh, pay tables. Yeah. Pay tables and pay lines. Yeah, you could be hmm. gambling is its own real thing. I would yeah. as, as its own little thing. We could easily go and do a whole episode about that. But all I'll say is that if anybody here is thinking of going to Las Vegas, look into a subscription to the Las Vegas Advisor. Either $35, they may have raised the prices since I did it, but $35 for the online, $50 for the printed newsletter. Uh, with each uh, subscription, you get a free coupon book, and there's some really good coupons in there. One of them is 50% off coupon, good for anything at the Palms Casino, good up to 50 bucks. And uh, so if you use that to its fullest, you've paid for the, the subscription. So, um, Well, we'll, we'll uh, have to link that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing. That and you research the games. It's like a casino theme because uh, Atari Bytes just did a blackjack podcast. True, I love then blackjack. Again, there's going to the be at least one more Atari Bytes before this episode gets released. I love blackjack on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Never played it, uh, but to be perfectly honest, Casino on the Twenty Six Hundred is much better because the blackjack game that's included first. First of all, they got several poker games, and they have a poker solitaire game, which is very very popular, especially with the video game critic at videogamecritic.com. But it's also got a truer blackjack game because the one on the standalone cartridge you can't uh, split and uh, you can't get insurance. Which, if you're smart, you play blackjack. You don't take insurance anyway because that's a yeah, sucker bet. Of course bet. not. 
but but on the version on the casino cartridge, you at least have that option. And so I think you have Surrender also on the, the casino cartridge. So, I mean, it's worth having Blackjack, because that was one of the first games that we got, because that and Slot Machine, because my dad used to be a gambler back then. Speaking of insurance, I have to share this. because this, I, I read this in 2600 Magazine, oh, uh, which is not Atari 2600. It's about the, yeah. uh, the 2600 hertz tone that is used in the hacking. But there was uh, an article by someone who uh, had, had a subscription. I think it was Paradise Poker Online Gambling, and they had just introduced Blackjack. And a friend of his called him and said, I was just playing the Blackjack that they just unveiled on Paradise Poker. And I'm pretty sure that... When it, you are asked for insurance, if there's a delay, it means that the dealer has an ace or something like that. And so the dude tried it, and sure enough, whatever the guy said, it was true. Every single time there was a delay if, when the dealer asked for insurance, it was a giveaway that there was something up, and the guy was able to make like $6,000 in one seating. Oh, wow. Just based on that information. And then the next day, they found the bug and fixed it. So he couldn't do that anymore. He withdrew all his money before they could uh, say, come back and say, oops, that was a mistake. Give us uh, our money back. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I would do that too. But, yeah. Uh, but at any rate, so, you know, that's a whole different thing. My home blackjack game anyway was on the Intellivision, even though I didn't have an Intellivision. I liked uh, poker and blackjack on the, uh, actually, I think the title is Las Vegas Blackjack and Poker. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, on the ColecoVision, it was uh, Ken Ooston's Blackjack and Poker. Ooh. And uh, he was, Ken Houston was the guy, one of the early video game celebrities. Uh, like, he, I think he's one of the first to, like, beat Pac-Man or something like that or get to have the world's record. And he wrote a bunch of books about it. And then he got all famous. And then Coleco, but before he did that, he was, like, big into card counting and, and had a lot of books about beating Blackjack before he got into video games. And, of course, uh, Coleco, uh, you know, licensed his name for their game. And... Uh, I think it was because they tried to, you know, because of the name and he was into video games and stuff. I think they're trying to pull some strings or something. Pull the strings. So uh, there's that. But as far yeah. as other things I've been doing, um, I've been playing Populous again on my PC oh, on wow. the Steam emulator. And I still think that's probably one of the best games ever made. It's right up there in my top five along with Jumpman Jr. What else have I been playing? Uh, I've been playing some Lemmings on the ST emulator as well. And uh, Lemmings is a fun game. I, oh yeah. I, the only problem with I have with Lemmings, I don't know. Sometimes I just you just kind of want it to end, but there's like level after level. I mean, oh, it's got a lot of replay value and it's unique, but it's just like after a while. This is just me. I you know lose interest after a while. That's just the way I am with things. But uh, other than that, I've been mowing a lot of lawn lately. Oh hmm. yeah, it's really literally just before the show. So there you go. Oh, there. That's there what I, I've there. been up to. I don't know what to say what I've been up to other than I've been playing uh, Bosconian in MAME a lot. Be um, you know, we we highly um, discourage people from, of course, playing emulation unless you own the actual machine. So, oh, of course. Uh, so, of course, uh, uh, my Bosconian machine is... Uh, I lent it to a friend, yes, yes. So I played it in MAME, and you I've just been you kind of hooked one. on it. That's right. You can't prove that you didn't have one, so there you go. So I, I play a lot of that, and... Uh, I took this past Friday off. I always take a, a three-day weekend when it's uh, the week of my birthday. Mm -hmm. So I just vegged out on Friday, and uh, I actually ended up with stuff that I had to get done. And probably about the hour before my wife got home, I fired up the 7800 and see if I could uh, 
beat out the top scorer of the Pac-Man collection, uh, Fast Mode Ms. Pac-Man on HighScore.com. So I did that, and yeah, that's uh, my gaming, basically, and did some recording for Autobiography of a Schnook, and this time it featured a special guest. And uh, once the podcast is launched, there will be hints toward that, of course. And wow, today I actually wrote a script for another segment of Autobiography of a Schnook. So it's been a pretty schnooky past few days for little old Sean here. Going all Jersey Shore there was schnooky, huh? No, schnooky, not snooky. Oh, 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 I see. Okay. It was, you know, that's an honest mistake, sort of. Okay, Mm. not really, but still, I got away with it. No, I didn't. Any rate, how are you? Okay. Oh, how how am I? I'm thirsty. Thank you for asking. Well, hi, thirsty. I'm Jim. <laughs> so you know what I'm going to do about that? Hmm. I'm going to open up Sean's drinking arena, and let me see. It's uh, I'm trying something different this time. I'm trying OBS. OBS. Um, yeah, to do the uh, stream. Oh. So let me see. I'm going to click go live, and I have desktop audio as the source yeah so here i am i hope i am audible and i can see that you hope the screen is intact okay so that's good uh the drink i'm going to be testing today 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 tonight is another melba's fixins drink and it is carrot cake soda i'm curious about this one me too especially because i don't like actual carrot cake I tried carrot cake recently, and at first I thought I liked it, but then I was like, this is disappointing. And on top of all that, the frosting that carrot cake usually has is cream cheese based, and I can't stand cream cheese. I hate it. Heathen. It's nasty. Ugh. But let's see what Melba's fixings. Oh, and uh, my wash down drink, should I find this stuff really bad and I have to wash it down with something good, is... uh, Haritos Fruit Punch, which I picked up on my way home from work tonight. I have never had the Fruit Punch. I do like Haritos. I was actually going to stop at the 7-Eleven in my neighborhood, but I found out that they like are all boarded up, so they're gone. Really? So I stopped at... There's a local grocery store, Edgewater Produce. It's a very small place, so I stopped in there. Oh, they carry the Kinder brand of snacks, and I know that... And Kinder makes some really, really good biscuits. I might have to... Uh, bring some over to the uh, guys from England in December. Hmm. But anyway, here we go. Melba's Fixin's Carrot Cake, and uh, the world can now see how I react to it. Hmm. There's a little bit of a bite to it. This tastes... You know what this tastes like? Hmm. This stuff tastes like a cinnamon candle. Uh, waxy? That you would see... No, it doesn't really taste waxy, but it tastes like the smell... Of a cinnamon candle if you go into one of those fancy places that women like to go to, like, right before Christmas. Yankee candle. Yeah, kind of, sort of, but I'm thinking more of a craftier kind of place where they have have a huge variety and where there's, you know, those little tiny stores where there's absolutely no freaking room to move? Oh, yeah. And, of course, if it's one of those you-break-it-you-buy-it things and they position everything so that you're going to break it. (laughs) Bob's 2x4 in China Emporium. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, this is actually pretty good. If I had to identify the flavor of it, someone gave me this and said, here, what's this flavor? I would say cinnamon. Because this does not taste like carrot cake at all. 
there are real, no real cinnamon sodas out there. No. And it even smells like cinnamon. It doesn't even smell like carrot cake. I will have to try that. Hmm. So, um, there we go. Melba's Fixin's Carrot Cake Soda tastes more like cinnamon. It's cinnamon. 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 Not medicine-y. What's the synonym for cinnamon? Spice. And uh, well, no, that cinnamon's a type of spice. But anyway, I'm going to end the live video on this right now, and bam. Bye. All right. I'm especially curious if it actually picked up your sound. Having said all that... Should we maybe read some emails? We should. I do believe we should. I want to address this one tweet that we got, though. Just uh, got it oh, uh, okay. yesterday, actually. Yeah, what, what does this tweet say? Some guy named CNC. <clears throat> and it says, Hello, sir. I am podcast promoter. Have you any podcast? We have no podcast today. <laughs> so they, they messaged Pie Factory Podcast to ask if we have podcast. Have you any, we have podcast? any podcast? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Th- two speakers full. Hmm. Um, the answer to that CNC is, um, no, we have no podcast. Sorry. Wait a minute. What if this is the CNC music factory? We still don't have a podcast. Yeah, so, yeah. There's a joke from the nineties. Hey, let's actually read some stuff that matters. And that oh, would be okay. stuff from people that actually listen to us and are fans of the show. Uh, actually we got an email from, uh, first of all, let's go with Richard grounds. We got uh, oh, Richard grounds. quite a few emails to uh, read here. Oh, wow. Um, Richard Grounds, 2Pi. I love how uh, Gmail does that. But anyway, I'm slowly getting caught up on Pie Factory. I'm only two episodes behind at this point. While listening to the Ant Eater episode, I was going nuts in the ports section when you didn't mention the 2600 Aardvark homebrew that was started by NanoChess. This thing is amazing. It was even demoed at Portland Retro Gaming Expo 2017 at the Atari Age booth and has come a long way since then. And he has a link to the development thread and a link to a video for the most recent unreleased uh, version. A YouTube link, and uh, I saw watched the YouTube link, and wow, this is it looks it's looking really amazing. If this thing gets a, a final release, uh, it'd definitely be high up on my to get list. It looks better than the M Network prototype. It's got some really pretty good animation in it too. Uh, actually, this is an this is an addendum. Oh, we should open a den and a rata then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This uh, this version, uh, this Ardvark Anteater, whatever you want to call it. Uh, looks really pretty amazing, and uh, yeah, I am yeah, watching the YouTube video right now. Just the intro. Holy cow! Look at that animation when the when the Aardvark walks onto the screen. Wow, is that amazing or what? Got a huge tongue though. Yes, the yeah, less said the better. Thank Good you, uh, thank you, Richard, for uh, setting us uh, setting us straight there. Yeah, yeah. Let me see here. We got a couple of other emails. Um... A couple of long ones here. This one's from Drim, uh, Jimmy Brazel. Br- Brazel? He is to piefactory at fab4it.com. Hey there, I decided to contact you guys and let you know a little of my history of his, uh, little of my history enjoying these things we call video games. Oh, yeah, this is an oldie. This is from September to, 20th. Not yeah, we had, to, we had to delay that one. Yeah. Anyway, I grew up in a one small town called Rowlett here in the Dallas, Texas area during the video game explosion. I was born in 67, which means he's a year older than me, and we moved to Rowlett in 1977, so I got to grow up during the growth of video games. We did not have any arcades close to me, but we did have corner stores and food locations that did have games in them. All this was within a mile to two miles from my house. 
My first experience with the game was Space Invaders. I was told by a friend about this machine at, the Japanese, at this Japanese restaurant. So we rode our bikes there and tried it out and was hooked on games from that point on. The Mr. M store at the corner a mile from my house started getting games where you walked in. They usually had one pinball machine and three cabinets in the front. This is where most of my game history comes from. Some of my favorites were Monaco GP, Star Castle, and Tempest. It was here that I made it to the Pie Factory level. Ding! On Donkey Kong, beat Dragon's Lair, got into a groove, and figured a workable pattern on Super Pac-Man, made it to Mario's hideout in Donkey Kong Jr., and mm. created a, and just created a lot of memories. I think of the times of getting a little cash and heading to the store for a grape soda, a few pieces of candy, and the rest was plugged into video games. I'm so thankful that the Mr. M stores kept rotating the games around all the stores in the Dallas area. Frogger, Pac-Man, Pole Position, Asteroids, and Deluxe, Wizard of War, Ms. Pac-Man, Zaxxon, Galaxians, Galaga, Gorf, and many more I cannot remember at the point at this point were played there. The Pizza Villa in the closest shopping center also had some games, but they were all the cocktail table versions. They always had your normal cocktail versions, but one I remember what most was Moon Cresta from there, which that's a game we got to talk about. Um, the idea of beating a wave of enemies and then docking to become more powerful with extra shots was neat to me. The Dairy Queen also had games. Space Fury, Space Duel Defender, and Crazy Climber were seen there. I would get on my bike and go once a week during the summer. A regular fries, large root beer, and the rest on the games. A regular fries, large root beer, and the rest on the games. A funny but frustrating story happened there. One day I got into a groove on Crazy Climber, which is also one of my most favorite games. Lost count of how many buildings I cleared during my game and blew out the high score on the game. I went to order my fries and drink, and the cashier asked how I did. I told him I set the high score. He said that is good and called out to the cook and said, A boy here just beat your high score on Crazy oh, Climber. Boy. I got my fries and was eating when I saw the video games go dark. Oh. <laughs> A few minutes later, they all came back on. I'm guessing the cook did not like me beating his score, so he went and hit the breaker to erase it. I played one more time, but did not do as good. Oh, oh. damn, that beats my some butthole story by a long shot holy crap i've heard other stories like that where people would get ticked off and just cut the power to reset the score the cool thing about some of the atari games is that that won't work because it stores the top three permanently like battery backup or flash yeah. memory or something like that yeah unless you actually go into the dip switches and reset it right right continuing in 1985 i went to work at the montgomery wards at, at wards at richardson square mall they had an arcade there, but it was all the way on the other side by the Sears and Movie Theater. I would take my lunch breaks, grab some food from a quick food place, and eating it, walk across the mall to the arcade. They had many games there I loved. Turbo, Joust, Time Pilot, Star Wars, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, which you did not you, you did not like, but I loved it for the controls and originality of the game compared to others. Rampage, Gauntlet, Tron, and many more. I got so good at Time Pilot, Joust, and Star Wars. I mentioned how, I think it was Sean, never knew Phoenix was an arcade game, but loved the 2600 port and found out later about the arcade game. The same thing happened to me on a few games. I loved Reactor on my 2600 and Satan's Hollow on my Commodore 64 back then. I never knew until probably a few years ago that these were actually ports of the arcade games. I, I don't think you, I think your first experience with, with, with Reactor was the 2600 version, wasn't it? Was what? With your first ex your first experience with Reactor wasn't that the twenty six hundred version? Oh yeah, yeah. I did not play the arcade version until Midwest Gaming Classic two thousand seventeen. Okay, that's what I thought. I never knew until probably a few years ago that these were actually ports of the arcade games. Keep up the good work, and I hope you can still speak and finish the show after this novel I sent, Jimmy. Hey Jimmy, uh, thank you for uh, contacting. I wonder if this is the same uh, Jimmy that uh, emails uh, Ferg over at the twenty six hundred podcast. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, Jimmy, for uh, messaging. Um, 
Sorry it took us so long to respond, but uh, we had a few things we had to do. And uh, actually, I think Tinkle Pit was one of them. So there you go. Thank you again, Jimmy, and uh, thank you for listening, and uh, I don't know what else to say. So Yeah, I don't think you would have seen Tinkle Pit unless you're in Japan. So And we got a couple more emails, one from Chris. We actually got two from Chris Plus Plus. We all got two from TrekMD. It says, happy bidet. That's my little joke. Uh, I, I don't... T- well, you say happy bidet. I, I said or, happy bidet. Oh, that's bidet. right. Yeah, you do say it. Um, I don't do that anymore. Now I go happy birthday, H-A-P-I-B-U-R-F-D-A-E. Uh, that's my new thing, because happy bidet was getting cliche so i'm gonna just do something that'll become cliche in the next 20 minutes here so ah okay holy schnit yep. <laughs> <laughs> happy semi-centennial sense- <laughs> happy semi-centennial birthday inky i love that you wrote 80 plus miles as a middle finger to the age 50 don't let a simple number on an arbitrary calendar get you down when anyone asks your age, your response can be with complete validity. I'm 50. Isn't that funny? I mean, look at me. If I'd known in the past I would look this young and feel this physically great when I turned 50, I would have been relieved. Uh, hmm. Less said the better. Anyway, um, He's never seen you, has he? No. <laughs> uh, he, says, he says here, I'm looking forward to the bonus episode. I was seeing a girl for a couple of years who had clinical depression, and I never knew whether to leave her the F alone or try to make her feel better. I tried to communicate about it between her depressed phases, but it went around in circles. Well, just ask me when it happens. I don't know right now. I try, but you always say it doesn't matter what I do because you're so, well, depressed. I'm extremely curious about what you have to say on this series, but certainly more commonly applicable than most people know subject. And thanks again to both of you for all the podcasting efforts over the past few years. It's always enjoyable to check in with my Chicago pals, even if it's a one-way check-in. I live in Chicago vicariously through you because I love that city. One-way check-in. That sounds like some kind of horrific airport experience. Unless you've been to O'Hare, you would not even begin to realize how correct you were. Oh, please. O'Hare is nothing. Nothing. Try Newark Terminal A. Try LAX. Try LaGuardia. I've been to O'Hare, I've been to Midway, I've been to whatever the one is in Dallas, I've been to Salt Lake City, I've been to Baltimore, Washington. Those are the ones I've been to. The worst by far is O'Hare. When we went 2006, we were going, we were flying to Las Vegas, we sat on the tarmac for a whole freaking hour uh, before our flight. And we lost, we missed our connection in Salt Lake City. The second we landed, our connection to Vegas left. So Salt Lake City Airport was nice, but it was Sunday. So there was nobody there, and um, I'm, you know, Mormon city and all. But anyway, um, okay, da, 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 uh, ba, 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 let's see when we check in. Okay, and come on, you two and the Ten Pence guys have got to finally meet when they visit in December. One step ahead of you, pal. It's high time the premier American arcade podcast held a summit, or at least a supper, with the premier English arcade podcast. You know what, we'll check with the premier American arcade podcast as soon as we meet up with them and ask them about that. That would be no quarter, because premier means first. Yeah, now that is true. It doesn't they, mean We current. are definitely not the... It, well, there might even be somebody before no quarter. I would imagine, probably so. Hmm. But at uh, any rate, uh, with the premier English... Also, you can compare Beagle photos. Chris Plus Plus. Yeah, because uh, Victor and Mrs. Victor uh, recently acquired a Mr. And uh, Mrs. Beagle. Victor. <laughs> you have to refer to Victor as Mr. Victor. Yes. It's too bad his wife isn't coming because you could refer to her as Mrs. Victor. Huh. And then get uh, probably smacked with something. What if he were a vicar? He'd be Victor the Vicar. Victor the Victor. Victor the Victor who lives vicariously in victory vehemently. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so... 
again, thanks, Chris, and I appreciate the birthday wishes. And uh, and have a middle finger on me, or have my middle finger on you, or we better not do that. What do so, you think about his question about what to do with? Uh, when you have somebody who says, well, I don't know what I want you to do. Ask me when it happens. Ask me when I get depressed. And then they say, well, I can't answer you because I'm too depressed. That's, you know what? I'd have to think about that. I really don't know how to, I don't really don't know how to respond to that. On the one hand, it's good that he's, you know, he was concerned. But then on the other hand, too, that is kind of a hard question to answer. Because I think when you're really into that, you know, deep of a pit the last thing you want to do is really answer a question like that. So that's that I'd have to think about that a lot. Uh, I've really, I would say in that, in that sort of a situation, any sort of a, a friendly gesture would be probably welcome. I'm just, I can only speak for me because everybody's going to answer that differently. But, when in doubt, try a hug. And if that doesn't work, try a hundred bucks. I don't know. Hmm. So now we got a couple of emails from Trek MD. Yeah. And uh, one of them is, his arcade game memories. And uh, this one actually is pretty long here. Why don't we start with his other one? Start with his other one? From September 23rd. Actually, here, I'll, I'll uh, get things started here. He says, hey, guys, uh, I sent an email with feedback on games before listening to the most recent episode fully, and I noticed you're going to discuss depression, and if I heard correctly, suicide. Though I've never experienced the former myself, I've had my experiences dealing with family members and patients, he's a doctor, with both depression and suicide. So I wanted to just share a couple of points, and I hope you don't mind. No, of course not. I'm not quite sure how you were going to broach the subject on the episode. Well, I don't think we really knew either. But um, in any case, one point I wanted to make is that when someone says they are thinking of killing themselves, that is not to be ignored. The instances which I've dealt with patients who have attempted suicide... Someone always comes forward to say the person had told them, but they did not take them seriously. If someone says they are thinking of killing themselves, particularly if it is someone who is known to be depressed, please pay attention and ask more questions. Patients who are depressed are at a higher risk of actually committing suicide when they are being treated and are starting to come out of the depression. Individuals who are very depressed often lack the strength to carry out a suicide, but may find themselves able to follow through with an attempt once drugs start to take them out of the depression. Be watchful if you know anyone in this scenario. I, you know what? I never even thought about that. That's actually, uh, that's actually a very good point. Yeah. It's kind of like what I mentioned in the actual episode about what I understood mm -hmm. when you're taking uh, antidepressives and uh, the warnings about how suicidal yes. thoughts may yeah. happen. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it is. It's not that these medicines are magically putting the thought in your head. It's more like they're giving you motivation. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, that's true. You did. You did mention that. Yes. But yeah, it's still, it's, it's still something you don't, you don't think about. It makes total perfect sense. Again, it's not the medication doing it. It's just the medication giving you the energy to do it. Mm -hmm. You already have it in your head. Yeah. Basically. So. And he uh, goes on, he says, also don't underestimate the damage over-the-counter drugs can do someone. More people try to commit suicide with acetaminophen, or Tylenol, the brand name, than you think with the belief that it is a quote-unquote safe drug. Acetaminophen taken in doses higher than noted on the bottle can literally destroy the liver and can certainly cause death. I never even thought. Yeah. I never even thought about that. I mean, it does say on the uh, on the bottle that it could cause liver failure, but you never really 
think about, you know, how much you'd have to take to, to do something that permanent to it. I know somebody whose daughter actually did try that once. Really? Yeah. She and a bunch of friends had got drunk and they got caught drinking and driving. And she basically tried to commit suicide because she got scared that her parents were going to basically what, what you would expect parents to do in that situation. And they're like, Hey, you're damn right. You would have gotten it from us. And, uh, so yeah, she like, they had to rush her into the uh, emergency room. She had to uh, get some kind of a, uh, she had to be force fed uh, charcoal through her nose. Really? To, uh, yeah, our, we actually, our dog actually had that one some years ago when we, when we thought she might've eaten some raisins. And the reason for that is charcoal apparently is good at absorbing toxins. But yeah, she came out of it okay, and she's like, okay, yeah, I've learned my lesson. The she said, she said the treatment was far worse than anything I ever would have feared, and so she's like, yeah, I'm never gonna be, I'm never gonna do so something so stupid again, especially trying to kill myself. But, so yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a serious point there. But um, anyway, uh, uh, Trek ND goes on to say we can certainly make a difference in someone's life, particularly if they are depressed and are at the risk of harming themselves. Let's not forget that. Indeed. Eugenio, thank you for your contribution on he that. He did thank send you. a follow-up, uh, too. Um, I told him, I emailed him back, thank you, and that we were in post of that episode. And then he responded, he made a small correction below, but it must have been just a word or something. Well, it said, I ate a word. And he was like, and yes, this is indeed a very real issue. My patients with diabetes and depression are nearly impossible to control because they just can't find the desire to do what they need to do. The depression just keeps them demotivated. So again, thank you, Trek MD, for your uh, for your words there. Um, I'm curious what kind of a doctor he is. I think he's an endocrinologist. Yeah, Eugenio, correct us on that because I'm I'm kind of curious. Uh, I'm kind of curious on your um, on your specialty on your what do they call it? A specialty. Yeah, but specialty. Yeah, what kind of a doctor you are? That's, <laughs> what kind uh, of a doctor are I'm you? Curious. What kind of a doctor are you anyway? You're never mind. Yeah, I'm I was. Go I was actually glad to see we got some pretty positive response from that episode. And it was, yeah, and yeah, there's one thing I, I I think I I'm, I might have the right to add to this. Uh, and my wife was telling me how when she was a te- she was a probably about twelve thirteen I think when her parents got divorced, and her oh. mother would see a therapist regularly for about a year I think to you know deal with it to cope with it, and she said you know I would have liked someone to talk to. You know, my wife was doing okay in school. She was still getting good grades, not acting out or anything. But she said people assumed that I was okay, but I really wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it kind of tacking on to what I said before about how she made an appointment with a therapist, and by the way, she was very happy with the results. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Actually, is uh, is my th- my therapist once told me, how can you take care? of somebody else if you can't take if you haven't been taking care of yourself. You know, take care of yourself first and that puts you into like a better state of mind to take care of others. There's a lot of truth to that. Never really thought of it. I I've been so brought up on the whole I am third thing. People like me, we're not gonna think when, when it comes to your recovery, you have to be yeah. selfish. Yeah. There's just no yeah. way around it. You have to be selfish when it comes to your recovery. There are times in your life where you gotta put yourself first. Because if you don't, yeah. you're just going to make yourself go crazy and let everything, then you'll eventually let everything else you're putting first eat you inside. So take the time and put yourself first. It's not, yeah, it might be selfish, but selfish isn't necessarily a bad thing. 
There are times when it's a good thing. That's just my opinion, and do with it what thou wilt. So... But we do have a, on a lighter note, yes. and a longer note, <laughs> another email from Eugenio. Lighter yet longer. Uh, figure that one out. But don't get, don't, get, don't get me wrong. We, uh, we actually really appreciate your emails, Eugenio. But uh, he has some gaming uh, memories here, some feedback on some of ours. So I'll take the first six here. And you can take the second six because uh, the Pac-Man section is uh, kind of long. And I've been doing most of the talking so far. So hope you're doing well. I continue listening to your episodes, and I'm getting close to the first few episodes already, so it looks like these long feedback emails will be coming to an end in the near future. Where has the time gone? In any case, here's the next group of games. Vanguard. Every time I see that word Vanguard, I think about the Atari artwork someone put together for that. I don't know about that one. Yes, you do. I do? We we had it as our cover photo for a short time. Oh, I'll look at that again then. Um, yeah. I'd have to say that I did not see Vanguard at Time Out, but rather heard the music from Star Trek The Motion Picture and Flash Gordon, and I had to gravitate to the source of the music. Much to my surprise, it was not from a game based on either franchise, but instead an original space shooter. Since I like shooting games, I tried Vanguard as soon as the machine was free, and I was utterly frustrated. It was harder than I thought, but I still kept on playing. Once the 2600 version was released, I got it, and I loved it. I loved that it was simplified, no diagonal caves, so I was able to actually finish the game. I got close to that in the arcade, but never managed to beat the final stage. I only played the 2600 version at home until years later when I bought an Atari 5200, and then bought that version of the game. It looks much nicer and is closer to the arcade original, but it has to be played with a Wiko stick. The 5200 controllers make it difficult to play this game because of the non-centering feature. Wiko for the win. Um, That's one of the other games that was um, converted from the 5200 to the Atari 8-bit. And it plays fantastically on the Atari 8-bit. I just wish somebody would hack the voice into it. But that's just me. So, number two, Gorf. I first saw Gorf at timeout, and I was surprised to see that the game was the combination of other games I had played in the arcade. Maybe not 100% identical to Space Invaders or Galaxian, but close enough. I figured I'd give it a try, and I did enjoy it, but it wasn't a go-to game when I went to the arcade. If other games I wanted to play were tied up and Gorf was free, I'd play it, but usually only one quarter at a time. Did not buy the 2600 version either, but I have played it since. It's simplified and doesn't have all the screens, but it is a decent enough version. I've also tried the 5200 version, but that is also missing a screen, Galaxians, and doesn't really look that great. I much prefer the Atari Jaguar version, which I do own. That is a great version. Um, It's as arcade perfect as it gets, and it makes me wonder why Atari didn't make arcade compilations for the system. You know, that's a really good question, actually. I think they could have gotten, maybe extended the life of the Jaguar with that, but not sell them individually, make it a whole compilation like he's saying. Uh, Yes, this was a homebrew release, but Atari could have easily made this game and others in an arcade compilation for the Jaguar. You know what? Yeah, I I kind of would agree with him. Uh, I don't think I played Gorf all that often, but, you know, I didn't hate it. You know, when when something I wanted to play, someone was on and Gorf was free, I would play Gorf. Maybe not to that degree, but yeah, I can see his point. And yeah, I would say that the Atari 2600 version was a bit of a letdown. I do I was like actually the, pretty happy with it, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I, to me, it's missing like all of those cool little sparkly effects, like the shields and the middle of the uh, the flagship. I do like the Atari 8-bit version, which I think is also the same as the 5200 version. But you know, that's just me. Number three, Scramble. Let me start by saying I've never seen or played Scramble in an arcade. What? No, I'm not going to let you start with that. No way. Oh. Sorry, you Eugenio. <laughs> in fact, the first time I saw the game was when I bought my Vectrex in 2011. 
I had no idea what the game was. So I learned to play it on the Vectrex and I got hooked. It's a cool game, but not exactly an easy one. You have no idea. And <laughs> there was the 7800 homebrew release and I, of course, bought it. Not easy either, but I did find it more manageable than the Vectrex version. Most recently, I also got the 2600 version, which is quite impressive. I do have Super Cobra for the 7800 as well, and I did get Super Cobra Arcade for the 2600 when it was released at PRGE last year. So as you can see, while I may have no experience with Scramble or its sequels in the arcade, I sure have plenty of experience with a number of the home versions. Scramble on the Vectrex was the first Vectrex game I ever played, and the first Scramble game I ever played. I would say that the home versions of Scramble, even on difficult settings, are still easier than the arcade version. Although, they do make good practice for the arcade version. Oh, yes, they do. Just with the 8-bit and 5200 versions, which were recently released, you cannot play it with the wide tunnels, because that takes away the challenge. The only reason they put it on the 5200 version was because of the joysticks. Oh, Ooh, right. shoot. Ah, ow! There we go. So... Enjoy. I've said it before in, in a recent episode, the thing I love most about the Scramble on the 8-bit is it can use a stock Sega Genesis controller, one button for firing and one button for your bombs. That's amazing. That's awesome. And like I said before, I just wonder if we could uh, they could do that with other games like on the 8-bit, like Moon Patrol, one for firing and one for jumping instead of having to push up to jump. Uh, maybe even have an alternate kangaroo configuration like that. Other games that would require it. Uh, Cinestar, uh, you know, one for your, your guns and one for your Cinnabombs. Um, you know, there's many other things that I'm think, I think you could do, and that's just awesome you can do it with that. And, uh, yeah, so, like I said, yeah. I wonder if you could program new games for the 7800 to, to use a Genesis controller right out of the, you know, out of the box, as it were. So let's go on to number four here. Tapper. This is another game that I've never played in an arcade. Wow. I'd love to see one of these machines just to try it out with those controllers. My experience with Tapper comes from the 2600 version, which happens to be a well-done conversion. Yeah, the graphics are quite simplified by comparison to the arcade, but the gameplay is pretty much there. I have the 8-bit version only as a ROM, but I've tried it. It does look much better than the 2600 version, captures the gameplay pretty well, but for some reason it plays rather slow. I would agree. I believe this version has been converted for the 5200, so I wonder how well it plays on the system and if the 5200 controllers help or hinder the gameplay. I don't know if it has or not, but I think the mushy buttons on the 5200 controller would hinder the gameplay. I would think that a wise thing to do on the 5200 version is use both joysticks and a coupler. With the coupler. Think about it. The, uh, that's, what the, that's basically what the arcade game was. It was basically yeah, exactly. a two-joystick game. Yeah. Although, didn't we say that some machines actually did have a serve button? Oh, um, Like probably. later machines, like if the tap thing broke or something? Never saw one, but... I've, well, I've never either, but uh, just like I've never seen a track and field with uh, with a trackball. Trackball. Yeah. But those existed, apparently. That's something to look into. Hmm. Probably won't. Anyway, uh, so, so yeah, Tapper. Great game. Great, great game. Moving on, number five, Pingo. My first experience with Pingo was at timeout. I walked by the machine and was intrigued by the gameplay because Pingo was a penguin. I did enjoy playing the game, so I spent quite a few quarters on it. When Atari released the 2600 version, I immediately got it, and I will say I was quite impressed by it. They really did a very good job porting the game to the system. I got the 5200 version years later, which of course looks even better. This game is one of those cute games from the 80s, and while it may not be something spectacular, I do really like it. I'm going to guess it wasn't a very popular game, though, since I have not seen it in any of the arcade compilations for systems like the PlayStation or the GameCube. Well, being Pingo is a Sega game, I don't think they really released many um, compilations of their older arcade games. The few compilations mm. I did see had stuff like OutRun and um, 
like Space Harrier, their, some of their later yeah. games on it, but mostly like their, their Sega Genesis titles. I have not. I would love to see a classic Sega compilation with like Pingo and Zaxxon and Congo Bongo and Turbo and um, Tax Scan and uh, Space mm. Fury. Sega had a lot of really awesome um, vector games too. They were they were the number two uh, arcade vector game company just behind Atari, and they put out a lot of impressive stuff in that genre too. Like well, Star Trek for one. Hmm. Uh, as long oh, as we're right, talking vector, right. and that's a great game. So it is. I would I I would pay money. I would pay some serious cash to get a Sega compilation like that, and hmm. it would be legal too. Because, you know, I can't keep all of these Sega arcade games here in my house, you know. Oh, of course not. You know, if, if I want to play them. Yeah. So that would, that would be nice. Uh, I, w- I would pay for it. Yeah, yeah because, again, we, we do not advocate emulating unless you have the actual hardware. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And number six, Ladybug. I played Ladybug at timeout more times than I care to count. Well, then stop counting! <laughs> if other machines I wanted to play were tied up, I'd use the chance to play Ladybug. Oh, I hate when that happens. I hate having to deal with rope around a damn arcade machine. Unfortunately, that did not last long as the machine disappeared after a few months. It's funny to see how many games were made that that used similar gameplay to Pac-Man, but that added various different features to make the game unique enough. Of course, this game used gates to let the player change the maze. Does that sound familiar? Games like Mousetrap and Lock and Chase used a similar system. And once the arcade machine was removed from timeout, I did not see the game again until years later when the homebrew port was released for the 2600. I had to get it and I was quite impressed with the game. It is really a superb adaptation of the game and captures all of the arcade's magic. Did we ever like find it. out if uh, Coleco actually did start programming Ladybug for the 2600? Um, I know it was on that- the release schedule. I don't know. I, I really don't know, but uh, I'm cheating right now and going to AtariProtos.com, and um, I don't see it listed on AtariProtos.com, so I, I don't but, know. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't start programming it. This just means, yeah. That could just mean they just haven't found it. Yeah, and I'm going to repeat what I always say. Play the Atari 2600 version and play the arcade version and tell me which one is which. Bet you it's going to be a little bit hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a dead giveaway, but if you're not paying attention, it'll be like, wow, wait a minute. Which one am I playing? Because it is that good. Yeah, it is. It is really, really good. So yeah. there we are. So, hey, uh, Sean, you want to take the next six? Uh, yes, I do, actually. Okay. All right. So next on Eugenio's list, Crazy Climber. When I saw this game at timeout, I think I may have played it only one time. I saw my cousin play it, but I wasn't much into it. I did try it once, but that was that. Despite the game's uniquity, another neologism I learned from Sean during the episode, I remember seeing the 2600 version in the Atari Age magazine, but I was not even interested in ordering it. Boy, do I regret that now. Those carts go for quite a bit of money nowadays. I did revisit the 2600 port years later, thanks to finding a binary of the game and have since learned to appreciate it. Even on the 2600, the controls are rather unique, since you have to move the joystick up and down to climb the buildings. The graphics are very much simplified, but the gameplay is there, including the pooping condor. I do have to wonder if anyone could hack this ROM to enhance the graphics and add more of the arcade features. Maybe make it a 16K ROM to give it some nice improvements. The game is 8K on the 2600. The climber himself would look much nicer if rendered in the three colors used in the arcade game rather than green and pink. Or maybe a homebrewer can create a 7800 <laughs> port. You know what? You know what? Um, if they did make a homebrew version of 
Crazy Climber, I can almost promise you it would have the speech samples in it. Oh, they would have to go for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see what you're you wishing did there. you hadn't. Oh, what a knee slapper. And, and yeah, I'm surprised. Well, they would have to do that, and there also should be a way to use two joystick controls. Oh, yeah. Oh, especially with Ed Ladin. That would be pretty cool. Robotron on the Atari uh, 8-bit computers. This week in Robotron. Actually had a, a, a CX-40 coupler in the box that it came with it. You would sit the joysticks in there and use those. So you could probably do that with a new port of Crazy Climber. There are now a bunch of uh, two-joystick options for the 7800. Uh, including the Ed Ladin, but there's also people that are 3D printing uh, couplers for the pain line controllers. So there are options out there these days. Oh, by the way, one thing I forgot to mention. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast is brought to you by Luden's Cough Drops. Luden's Cough Drops, the candy that pretends it's a cough drop. So, Come on, Luden's, pay us. Yes. Uh, where was I? Did I say, hi, this is the Pie Factory? Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay, number eight, Fix-It Felix Jr., when the movie Wreck-It Ralph was released, uh, the email actually says Fix-It Felix Jr., but he meant Wreck-It Ralph. I remember how fascinated I was with the titular arcade game <laughs> movie. It really looked a lot like a game of the 80s, and I wanted to play the game either at an arcade or at home. The movie was, of course, plenty fun to watch, so that just made me more interested in playing the game. That became a reality when I found that the game had been ported to the Sega Genesis. I knew I had to get it. What I did not know was that there were actually two ports for the console, one by a Japanese homebrewer from the site Future Driver and one from Airwalk Studios. The Future Driver is available as a free download, and he gives a link, which we will also be linking in the show notes. And that can be played using an EverDrive cart while the Airwalk Studios version was released in a cart form in a limited run. My first experience was with the Future Driver version, but I was later able to get a boxed release from Airwalk Studios, and I do have to say that this version is the superior version as it is far more faithful to the original scene in the film. This version features music, introduction animations, speech, and all the detail from the fake arcade. Much to my surprise, though, I saw Fix-It Felix machines at various retro events later that year. I was quite surprised. I had to, of course, give them a try, and they were quite nice to play. By the way, I did not hear you guys mention a clone of the game that was created for the 2600 called Fix-It Felix Sr. Oh, I did not know about it. I did not know about that either. If you haven't seen it, check this thread in Atari Age, and he gives a link, which we're going to put in the show notes, too. I'm checking it out right now, actually. By the way, I also had the Android version of the game. It seems that if you got the game already before, you can still download it to your device. The Android version is simpler than the Genesis version, but still a fun game to play. And I, I really don't know which version for the Genesis that I tried. I'm guessing it was the Future Driver version. But then again, Airwalk sounds so familiar to me. It was a ROM for sure, but it was great. I liked the um, the sound samples because they weren't in the, uh, well, arcade version, if you will. But I still haven't found a home version that is exactly the same as the arcade version, which is a PC game, by the way. Mm-hmm. Arcade cabinets for Fix-It Felix Jr. are PC cabinets, really. I really want to be able to play that exact game. Oh, and they did just release the Fix-It Felix Jr. mini arcade game at yeah. Walmart. And uh, apparently, according to our friend Willie over at uh, Arcade USA, uh, check out his YouTube channel, 
according to him, it's uh, not the uh, not the arcade ROM. See, that's the I want the arcade ROM. Yeah. I still would like to pick up the mini arcade because I haven't bought any of those because most of them have been like either NES or Atari 7800 versions of the of the arcade game. Yeah. But uh, seeing as there is really no really defined Fix-It Felix Jr. game out there, at least not you know to the degree of other games, I would kind of be happy to see this one. I'm curious as to how, what it looks like and how it plays. And uh, moving on, uh, Nyan... Mr. Do. Ah, Mr. Phil. Oops, Mr. Do. I'm a big fan of Dig Dug, so when I first saw Mr. Do at Time Out, I knew I had to play it. Once I did, I fell in love with the game. While the basic idea is the same, the game itself has enough differences to be unique. I really liked the bright colors in the arcade, and I was surprised when I realized that each screen had pre-dug tunnels in the shape of the level number. While I do really like this game, I do not really like that the ball is fired to get the enemies because of the time you have to wait and because it may just keep on bouncing before mm-hmm. it hits anything if an enemy happens to move out of the way in time once you fire it. You can catch the ball, though. Yep. Well, you kind of have to if you want it back. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I much prefer Dig Dug's pump, and he always has access to it to attack the enemies. You know what they call that, right? <laughs> Pumping the monster. Indeed. Regardless, it is one of the things that makes Mr. Do different. I probably spent as many quarters on Mr. Do as I spent on Dig Dug when I visited Time Out. When Coleco announced they were going to release a 2600 version, I was a bit disappointed. After Donkey Kong, I was not sure they could pull a decent port of the game for the system. Also, having seen what Atari had done with Dig Dug, I had certain expectations for the port. When I finally got the game, I had to, I had a lukewarm reaction. It did not look bad, but I hated the fact that I could not make tunnels like I could in Dig Dug. Yeah, that's very true. I'm not sure why Coleco decided to make the game this way. Despite that, the game does capture the gameplay of the arcade fairly well. I know a version of the game is coming for the 5200. I got to try it last year at PRGE. <laughs> and I have the Sneeze version, which is a fantastic port. Yeah, I do I, I do like the Sneeze version. I played that when uh, during the brief time that I had the... Um, Retro Duo Portable, and it was pretty good. I'm not sure I've played it. I know I've played the uh, Neo Geo Mr. Do, which was totally weird, but... uh, Hmm. The SNES versions seem to be basically the exact same as the arcade version. Yeah. So naturally, I was happy with that, because I like me the arcade version. I wonder who owns the rights to that game now. Hmm. Well, let's uh, make copies of it and see who sues us, and that way we'll know. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, let's see, number 10, Pac-Man. Okay, this one is going to be long. I first played Pac-Man at timeout at my hometown in Puerto Rico. I remember seeing the machine and the crowds around it as everyone just had to try the game. This game was completely different from the other games I had played before, and I knew I just had to try it. When it was finally my turn, I put in my quarter, and I started controlling this yellow character eating dots in a maze. I almost cleared the first maze with that first quarter, but the monsters slash ghosts, uh, monsters, got to me before I could. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this when he talked about Junior Pac-Man in a previous feedback. Uh, don't remember if I ever mentioned it, but the first time I ever played Junior Pac-Man, I did clear the first maze. Oh, wow. But anyway, going on, uh, uh, back to Eugenio. That did not stop me from trying again and again until I finally cleared the first screen and the second screen and the third screen. I was hooked. Every time I went to timeout and made sure I saved a quarter or two to play Pac-Man. 
Of course, the machines started showing up at other places like pizza shops, some local stores, and even supermarkets. Uh, yeah, very true. I, pl I played Pac-Man at Kroger and A&P. <laughs> uh, back to you. Anyway, if I had the chance, I played Pac-Man at those places too. When Atari announced they were bringing Pac-Man to the 2600, I jumped with joy. The day the game was finally released, my cousin got it first and she told me how much fun she was having with it. I went to her house to see the game and when I saw it on her TV, I was disappointed with how the game looked. What happened to Pac-Man? And I? Why wasn't the maze blue? Despite the differences, I gave it a try and I did find it to be enjoyable. So I went to pick up my own copy at Sears and went home to play Atari's version of Pac-Man. And I kept playing it over and over and over. I always wish Atari had at least kept the colors of the arcade, but in the end it did not matter. It was Pac-Man at home, and I kept playing the game until Ms. Pac-Man was released on the 2600. After that, I rarely ever played my 2600 Pac-Man. Then, years later, came Atari Age and all the pro- the website, that is, and all the programmers who hacked the 2600 Pac-Man to make it look better than Atari's version. My preferred hack is Nuki Shea's 8K version, which is still Atari's Pac-Man, but with the correct colors, Ghosts in Four Colors. Yeah, that's right, the Atari 2600 version, they were called Ghosts. Mm -hmm. And much better sounds. I and am the convinced... ghosts were actually four colors in the 2600 version. They were just very, very, very subtle shades. I thought there were only two colors. Were they? Well, maybe I think you're so. right. They, they, but they were not a solid color like everybody thought at first. They were not one, just one color. Really? No, they weren't. They're were, they're were very subtly shaded. Hmm. Uh, of course, the programmers in Atari Age did not stop at just making hacks as they started to develop homebrew versions of Pac-Man written from scratch. Oh my God! Dennis Debro and Daniel Gong. Uh, uh, Goncaves, is that? Goncaves. Gon Goncaves have made versions of Pac-Man for the 2600 that look and sound as close to the arcade as the 2600 can produce. It's amazing to see how the console has been pushed to make better and better versions of Pac-Man for the 2600, even with the limitation of 4K, 4 kilobytes. The 8K versions even have the intermissions. Mm -hmm. If anyone thought the 2600 couldn't have a good version of Pac-Man, they were wrong. In any case, nowadays I see Atari's Pac-Man as more of a clone of Pac-Man than an actual Pac-Man game. Still fun to play, but not a true version of the title. I still say that if Atari had released their version of Pac-Man, and the only thing different from the version that we got now uh, was that they changed the colors of the maze, I don't think as many people would be complaining about it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm absolutely sure. Because that's the sure very first thing that you notice when you plug that game in and you turn it on, you notice how the maze is not the right color. Yeah. You made the maze the right color, and I bet 50% of the criticisms of the game would go away. Now, oh. I know for I know damn well that I read on Atari Age years ago that the reason that the maze colors were chosen was that because Atari developers were discouraged from using black backgrounds for games unless they were either space games or night games. That's what I heard, too. But I've reminded people, they're like, oh, you're full of it. That's not why at all. Todd Fry specifically chose these colors for this reason and that reason. It's well, whatever, but I know what I heard. That's all I can say. Uh, let's see. Uh, Eugenio goes on. Besides the 2600 versions, I have two 5200 versions, one released by Atari and the Homebrew Pac-Man Arcade released by TEP392. Oh, man. I've not seen that one. I saw either pictures or video of it, and... The difference between the 5200 Atari-made Pac-Man and the mm -hmm. TEP-392 Pac-Man 
it's like looking at the Atari 7800 Donkey Kong and then looking at Tep 392's Atari 7800 Donkey really? Kong. It's that much of a difference. And not that there was anything wrong. Only thing, the one thing that always bothered me about the Atari 5200 Pac-Man was how the maze filled up the whole screen and it didn't need oh, to be. Oh, yeah, they stretched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the homebrew version, it's a little bit more, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Good? Uh, no. Uh, scale. It's okay. a little bit more scaled properly. Let's see, the 7800 version in Pac-Man Collection, the Intellivision version, the NES version, the PSP version, the PS4 version, and, well, you get the picture. The NES version was really well done. Was that another one where there were two different versions? Probably, because I know Tengen released it on the NES. I seem to remember there was a really good one and a not-so-good one. I think there was an American version and and a Japanese version. That might be what it was. Uh, He goes on to say, now I do have one more Pac-Man thing to share. I have written articles looking at the Pac-Man games on all the Atari consoles and the Atari Lynx, and two of those articles have already been published in the online magazine, The Retro Gaming Times. The first two articles cover the Pac-Man games on the Atari 2600 and the 5200, and the next articles will be showing up in upcoming issues. I'll share the links to these two articles at the end of the email. Waka waka! And yes, we are going to share those links too. They're very, I, I really enjoyed looking at these articles. And let's see, number 11, Space Duel. Uh, TrekMD says, I did not know the existence of this game until I saw the 7800 homebrew version. Me too, man, me too. Yeah, the reason for that, by the way, is because I really don't like the Kenny Jones era of The Who. Once Keith died, I... Uh, well, actually, actually, okay, I take it back. I do like Eminence Front. That's a good tune. Uh, anyway, go that ahead. That having been said... It is pretty much asteroids with some changed elements, plenty of color, and lots of geometric shapes, but it is still a fun game to play. Bob DiCrescenzo managed to emulate the vector graphics pretty well as well, which adds to the charm of the game. Surprisingly, I did finally see a Space Duel arcade machine last year at Free Play Florida, and I immediately had to give it a try. It was cool to have the chance to play on the original machine. Space Duel is probably my second favorite game in the asteroids family. Even though it's not called Asteroids, it's it's Asteroids. It's Asteroids, yeah. yeah. I'm a, I prefer Deluxe, personally. Well, I said Space Duel is my second. Yeah. Yeah, Space. Uh, I do agree that Asteroids Deluxe is, unless you throw home versions into it, the 7800 is probably the best version of Asteroids. Oh, I love down. me that version, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, that's a great game. And it was, from I think it was the least expensive 7800 game I bought because nobody was buying it because it was Asteroids, but it was old hat by then. Yeah. But that was a really good version of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, meatballs in space. It would have been so awesome if somebody would have programmed that one because you know how the asteroids rotate, like, you know, I don't know, 3D glasses, like the red-blue lenses. Oh, yeah. You just see the rotations on the asteroids in 3D. That would have been awesome. That would have been something else. but it would have been awesome. Yeah, Yeah, it's too bad that Bob couldn't figure out how to do the... uh the tethering for space duel though. Yeah, there there was some he, he had all kinds stuff. of problems with that yeah. like system slowdown and but stuff. But you know He's what? Like, even though I do enjoy that in the arcade, that's just one more reason for me to play the arcade version. Yeah, there you go. And I'm not saying anything against uh, Bob DiCrescenzo's version uh, because uh, get it. it's it, it's excellent. It's very good. Go get it at the Atari Age store. Indeed. And number 12, Time Pilot. I honestly don't remember ever seeing this game at Time Out, so I was not very familiar with the game back in the day. I never got the 2600 version in the 80s or any other version until many years later when I finally learned about the game. I saw a video about it and I wondered why I had never played it. That's when Vector Pilot became available for the Vectrex, and I decided that I just had to get the game. Boy, is it an excellent version of the game. 
I then saw the arcade game at Florida Arcade and Pinball Expo, and I had to play it. It was definitely a fun experience finally being able to play the original arcade game. I've since also tried the 2600 version, which is a pretty decent port as well, another game in which Coleco vindicated themselves. Regardless of version, the one thing about Time Pilot is that you have to get used <laughs> to how the game controls. The ship simply moves in place so you can direct the shots and does take some getting used to as it is the background that moves. That is a great, 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 great game. And I still yeah, would love to see how that would it. play with a spinner instead of a joystick. Mm, like a yeah. kind of a Tempest type control, but uh, it's still excellent the way it is anyway. So I would just love to see that just this, just out of curiosity. I'm not saying change the game to it permanently, but I just like I don't see. remember if I if I mentioned this when uh, you and everybody else were over at uh, Pie Factory headquarters North recently, but Vector Pilot actually does have a control configuration, so you can pick uh, like arcade style or like more kind of like asteroid style, I guess. I was blown away by the fact that when we were playing that, I'm like, wow, the music and the sound on this is really, really good. And yep. we did a little research, and the Vectrex has the same sound chip as same the arcade machine. Chip. The same yep. exact one. Yep. So that so, was awesome. Uh, so closing out uh, TrekMD's email, so PRGE is getting closer. I know Sean isn't going. How about Jim? Are you going? That's nope. all for now, guys. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. Oh, and uh, one other thing. I don't know if I've ever talked about the Atari 8-bit version of Time Pilot. It's a homebrew. It's really good. Uh, hmm. Everything, like, really, really it. big, I think it has to do with the resolution of the, of the machine. Hmm. But it's still really fun to play. So... Hmm. I love me some Time Pilot myself. I love me I, some Time Pilot, too. I, as I was said in the episode, I didn't really care for it when it first came out. But as I've grown older and less wise, or maybe so, wiser, is in the case, as the case may be, I find myself playing more and more Time Pilot. So maybe uh, I have grown wiser. And then the PS is just the links to the his yeah. Retro Gaming Times uh, articles about uh, Pac-Man. Indeed, so. and they will be linked on our show notes show, and, na- show notes page at uh, piefactorypodcast.com. And thank you again, Eugenio, for thank you. your emails. We do appreciate them. Don't care how long they are; it helps us fill time. Sure. Yeah. yeah no, seriously, seriously, we we uh, we cherish the emails that we get from our fans more deeply, more sincerely than I think any of you ever would really know. Indeedly, dooly, dooly. So there we go. So let's close the door on uh, Nintendo Rada email, whatever, because there wasn't a yeah. an agenda in there too. So and actually, oh, something else is a uh, in the in episode eighty two. You notice we never got back to Eugenio's email when he talked when we talked about Mister Do's Wild Ride. Quite simply, he said never played it, can't comment on it. So <laughs> that's what you missed by us not commenting on the rest of Eugenio's email. There you go. So there we go. One more addendum. So should we uh, get on with the. Uh, our featured games. Yes, let's feature these damn games. You're going to feature the hell out of them. Yep. So what should we uh, talk about first? Would you mind going with Astro Blaster first? No, I would not mind at all. Let's go with Astro Blaster. All right, let's go with Astro Blaster, which was released either in March or December of 1981, depending on which source you choose to believe. Alert, alert, invader center one, player one, to battle station. And uh, a lot of people think it's a game by Sega Gremlin, but it's actually Gremlin Sega, at least according to uh, the signage on there. Switcheroo! And I don't think we mentioned this on this particular podcast, but did we ever talk about how Gremlin got its name? 
No. I think you talked about it on the 7800 Holden yeah. podcast, but I don't think... Actually, you did an Astro Blaster episode on that. Yes. But I don't think we talked about it on here. If we did, it would have been on the Frogger episode. Yeah. But that was a lot... That, that was that, one of our that first That game ones. was a cluster because it was a Konami game, you know, in Sega and Gremlin. Yeah. That all had their grubby little paws in that game. Yeah. But Gremlin was supposed to be called Grindelman. But whoever made the phone call to the licensing office <laughs> in, the, in the state government, well, the person on the other end of the phone didn't hear the name properly and thought that uh, the name was Gremlin. And so that's how that came about. Just imagine if a similar thing happened with Stern Freeberg. And so I put Stan Freeberg? Stan Freeberg or Stern Freebird. <laughs> <laughs> You'll leave here tomorrow with one of our games, Stan Freebird. The fun we that, have. That would be beautiful. And Jimmy and Joe... Jimmy Joe, Jimmy Joe, Jimmy G. I don't know if you uh, ever came across this little tidbit, but some people consider Astro Blaster to be an unofficial sequel to the Data East game Astro Fighter, which I believe Sega Gremlin distributed in this country. Either that or it was the other way around. I don't know. I've not played Astro Fighter. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it is similar, except that it's boring. Oh, well. And there's also, well, I'll get into this later, but. Uh, Anyway, going back to Astro Blaster, it was designed by Gary Shannon and Barbara. I don't know how the name is pronounced. It's either Mihalik, Mihalik. I really uh, loved his show, especially when it was on Fox. No, Shannon. Yeah. Shannon, not Shannon. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, Mihalik is spelled M-I-C-H-A-L-E-C. She has one other credit that I was able to find, and that credit was as lead programmer on the 1995 Sega Genesis game Desert Demolition, starring Roadrunner and Wild E. Coyote. Ooh. Yeah. Now, here's the uh, other thing that Gary Shannon has uh, credit for, at least the other thing I could find. I cannot get the Gary Shandling's show theme song out of my head now. Yeah, I saw that once, and I never saw it again. I, I wanted to see more of it. I love that show. Going on to Gary Shannon, the other credit that I could find for him was a game called Mind Maze. Uh, does that name sound familiar to you, Jimmy? Yes, it Joe? does. Wasn't that uh, a game on the Atari 2600? Yes, and it was originally called Mind Race. And there was something special about Mind Maze. By the way, he worked on that in uh, in or around 1984 with Howard Scott Warshaw. Ooh. And isn't that the one that was used with that weird Atari Mind Link controller that was, yep. never, that was never released? It used your eyebrows to control stuff on the screen. Oh, I, I don't know how that thing worked, but yeah, it was definitely a Mind Link game. It was uh, it was unfinished. It's supposed to be some kind of memory match game. You can get the prototype at Atari age, and uh, it either is designed for the Mind Link controller, or it is believed to have been designed for the Mind Link. But going back to Astro Blaster, Astro Blaster was the first Sega Gremlin game to use voice synthesis. And uh, it's not the first arcade game to use voice synthesis. That would be Stratavox, which we talked about in an episode I don't remember. But we'll... Uh, you know what? No, I'm not going to edit in the number later on. I don't have time for that. Neither does Hyde. He gets paid by the hour. But anyway, um, also, something interesting I found. I We normally don't really get highly technical in Pie Factory Podcast, but there is a little bit of techie stuff I want to talk about. And that is that Astro Blaster was... One of the first, if not the first, Sega game to use the Sega G80 board design. And the thing about the G80 board design is that instead of having one huge system board with all the components uh -huh. on it, it was actually five separate boards to manage 
different parts of the game. There was a board for speech, another board for all the other sound, a board with a Zilog Z80 CPU on it, a board for video, and a board with all the EEPROMs in it. It was designed for that in case there was a problem with the machine and you were able to figure out what the problem was. You could easily isolate the problem and do a fix on it. So I don't know what other what other games had that, uh, that board design on it. But on the left side of the control panel, you have two buttons, one to move left, one to move right, kind of like Space Invaders. And on the right side, there is a side-by-side pair of buttons as well. There's a warp button on the left and a fire button on the right. As for the gameplay, and this time we really do have to go over the gameplay because it's not a very common game. Although I think Victor Marlin might question me on that. He's, I, think, I seem to remember he mentioned to me before that it was, he, he saw it all over the place. I might be thinking of another game, though. But I never heard of it until, the, well, I'm not going to get into that right now. I don't want to give it away. <laughs> but mm-hmm. anyway, I'm, I need a vacation. Anyway, the gameplay of Astro Blaster. You go through seven sectors. Each of those sectors has a different number of attack waves from uh, different squadrons of spaceships. And each of those squadrons' ships move in certain unique patterns. And different squadrons have different point values for shooting the spaceships. And uh, there are some instructions that the game gives you. Uh, One, shoot enemy spaceships for points. Two, shoot fireballs for extra fuel. Oh, that's right. You run out of fuel in this game. Ho, ho. Oh, it's kind of like Scramble in that you destroy the fuel to refuel. Number three, use warp to slow down enemy ships and bombs only once per sector or ship. Discover how to earn secret bonuses for extra points. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that, by the way. Dock with mother ship to refuel after each sector. Game over when you run out of ships or fuel. Laser will not fire while overheated. What does all this mean? Yeah, you have a temperature gauge on the screen, and the faster you fire, the hotter your ship's temperature gets. And once it reaches a certain temperature, it's not going to be able to shoot anymore until it cools off. So that adds an interesting challenge. And yeah, you're going to have to um, dock with a mothership at the end of the sector if you want some more fuel uh, in addition to shooting fireballs. And yeah, it's really kind of a Space Invaders Galaxian kind of thing that you just shoot at things. But uh, going back to that bullet point about secret bonuses, there are a ton of secret bonuses. When certain things happen in a certain sequence, you get a certain amount of points added to your score. Like if you shoot all of a certain type of, I'm not going to go through all the various secret bonuses because there are a ton of them. There are a lot of secret bonuses. Uh, I'll, I'll go through a couple of them. If you shoot all of the enemies without missing, you get secret bonus number three, which is a thousand points. Um, let me see. What's another secret bonus that I should mention? Um, I don't get any secret bonuses at my job. Uh, I don't get any overt bonuses at my job either. Secret bonus number nine will get you 500, 700, 900, 1,000, or 1,500 points. Don't move at all when docking with the mothership. And you get 1,000 points for a perfectly centered approach. 1,500 points for the what they call paint scraper, which is when you brush a docking clamp of the mothership. Ooh. So there are all kinds of weird things you can do to get extra points. That's interesting. You, what's, you know what's interestinger than that? Hmm. These secret bonuses, there are 20-some secret bonuses. They're all bugs. Really? They are all bugs. Oh, they are awesome. not intentional. So 
what uh, the developers did was just say that, you know what we're going to do? Let, they just said, let's document those things. They're not bugs anymore. They're secret bonuses. <laughs> That's kind of similar to what the Blue Sky Rangers did over at Intellivision. It's not a bug, it's a feature. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like if they discovered a bug when they were testing a game and they didn't feel like fixing it, they would actually literally document it in the manual just so that it would not be a bug. I remember in the manuals for uh, games uh, on the ColecoVision, to cover their butts or to CYA for bugs or whatever, they had a section of the instructions called The Fun of Discovery. And they said, <laughs> said they're like, there are a lot of things in this game that, <laughs> that you can find or whatever. So that was always kind of fun. That was kind of funny. I'm going to have to grab the text of that and put it on our website. So um, another fun fact about Astro Blaster, there were apparently three versions of Astro Blaster released. The reason that there were three is that the first was deemed to be too difficult. So version two was released and... Um, a big difference between version one and version two is that version two, version two was more descriptive in the instructions. And uh, version three is basically considered the easy version of Astro Blaster. And I think it's basically an easy version of version two. Um, all three versions of Astro Blaster have a few things in common. First of all, all of the different alien spacecraft are in all of the versions. The only difference was uh, when they showed up in the screen. The secret bonuses actually were in all three versions. And um, they all had high score tables that held the 99 top scores. 99. Wow. Usually you only see like 10. Actually, the Williams games hold a lot of scores. But there we go. You know you have a version 1 machine if the instructions are on the screen. So there you go. Okay, here we go. I, I found the text of, uh, uh, from the Coleco. From, it was in every game for the ColecoVision, maybe even the 2600 Coleco games. There's a section called The Fun of Discovery. It was the last thing before the 90-day limited warranty. <clears throat> this instruction booklet will provide the basic information you need to get started playing the game name, but it is only the beginning. You'll find that this cartridge is full of special features that make, name of this game, exciting every time you play. Experiment with different techniques and oh enjoy boy. the game. In other words, yeah, it's bug riddled. We couldn't be arsed to, uh, to, to, to troubleshoot it. Oh man, I hope they have that disclaimer in the 2600 Donkey Kong Jr. Oh, I'm pretty sure they do. Oh boy. <laughs> but, uh, anywho, uh, versions two and three... Uh, you know you have a version 2 or version 3 if after you put in your token, your quarter, whatever, your 10 pence piece, there's a blue screen that told you to press the one player or two player button. And it also said, uh, told you to press the one player or two player button. And version 2 and 3 also give you the rules while you are in attract mode. And uh, yeah, the only difference between versions 2 and 3 are the order of the uh, spaceships that come down and attack you. Oh, by the way, speaking of uh, fueling, well, not so much fueling, but when your status is low, you will hear a voice telling you that your fuel is critical. Fuel status critical. During that time, everything in the game is worth double the points. Double points. And there are so many different uh, things worth so many different points. I'm not going to go through all of it here. I would need an entire part two to talk about that. Uh, and at the end of a sector, you go through an asteroid belt and you get a hundred points per asteroid that you destroy once the sector is over. 
You get a bonus for fuel remaining when you dock with the mothership. Uh, the bonus is 10 points per pixel of fuel. So that's really the scoring at that point. Uh, the game, seriously, it's pretty freaking... The way I describe it, it sounds kind of like really like Galaxian with some extra features to it. I got to say, it's a lot more exciting than I make it sound. Maybe not exciting. It is a really a fun game, and it's actually got a, a lot of uh, things that another game uh, kind of shares with it. Uh, really? We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Oh, but, will we now? Yes, we will. I do really like this game. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen it in the arcade in the classic era. I'm probably sure I probably have just never played it, but uh, I I don't remember ever seeing it. I do play it though whenever I go to Galloping Ghost, and uh, yeah, I do that's enjoy the I've game. Seen it. I know I've played it in emulation, and um, I really like it. I don't know which version the Ghost has. Um, yeah, I, I, think... I couldn't tell you. I think it's probably the easier version because I have a harder time getting when I play it there. I haven't played it the Ghost. I have an easier time playing it at the ghost than I do the uh, the ROM that I play here at, uh, huh. on on meme. I can't remember Even though which we one don't is. advocate playing yeah, well, emulation, of course. Yeah. But um, without owning the actual hardware. Oh of course. But uh, so I I think they may have the easier ROM. But uh, it's still a fun game. It's just it's a little more frustrating on the harder version because I can rarely or barely get to the uh, the fuel ship on the version I hmm. play at home. Uh, I will talk about all the home versions that I've been able to find out about. Um, and that would be, uh, let's see, there's the Atari 7800 version, which is a homebrew by Bob DiCrescenzo. Hi, Bob. And, uh, hi, Bob. Uh, do we have to drink for saying that? Nah. Okay. Or does that only apply to Bob Newhart? Um, probably only Bob Newhart. Oh, okay. And that is the only official home version that I know about. And I never heard of Astro Blaster until the 7800 homebrew came out. The thing is, when I first played it, which was an emulation, it got this feeling of, like, I know this game, and I know I've played it somewhere, but I couldn't tell you where. I had to have played it at some point, but I I couldn't tell you where or when. Oh, please, you can tell me. It'll be our little secret. And if you tell anyone, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite uh, Family Guy cutaways, yeah, it's, it's a fun little game. It's got a lot of little uh, quirks and... The gra- I like I do like the graphics. Um, actually, I like the graphics of the enemies more than I actually do of the ship you pilot, because the, the ship is like only like two colors. It's like blue and black, but it's like every other enemy is just got like is like full colored and it's got a lot of nice little, I don't know, glimmery or flashy animation to it, and um, the movements of the uh, of the enemies are rather erratic, uh, <laughs> but um, oh yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of Gorf. I can almost see. Yeah, I can. See, and, I can kind of see that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 got a similar feel to Gorf, and yeah. uh, really, even the machine kind of the actual cabinet itself has a Gorf uh, a Gorfian feel to it. And um, I can I can kind of dig that. I love sure. the voice in this game. Yeah, there is Fighter something pilot that, needed in Sector Wars. Play, play Astro, Blaster. Astro Blasters. Yeah, I kind of I can't really do justice to how much voice there is in this game. There's a lot. When you use the warp button, it gives you an audio countdown. Not, uh, I mean, I think it gives you a little thing on one of your bars on the bottom, but it'll say 10, yeah. 9, And by the way, eight. I didn't talk about the warp. The I don't know why it's called a warp, but what happens when you hit the warp button is everything except your ship and your fire slows down. 
We should probably get into video game physics here, even though I think this is the way that physics really works. You're moving faster, and as part of you moving faster, everything else is moving at a slower rate, it, or it just appears to be moving slower. It appears to be moving slower. And I slower. think that's what the warp button is. I think it's supposed to actually capture those physics. Oh, okay. That kind of makes sense. You know what? That's kind of like how in Super Pac-Man, when, Super, when Pac-Man turns into Super Pac-Man, all the monsters stretch out, mm-hmm. and it's basically because you're really looking downward from the point of view of Super Pac-Man. So him going so fast, they're going to look like they're kind of stretching out because he's going that fast. Mm-hmm. So, so okay. I think I, that's actually yeah. real physics. Yeah we, don't, we, yeah, we don't need to have an addition of video game physics for this. Yeah. But yeah, that's the warp. Uh, I think, how many war- how many warps do you get? Is it? I think it's one per ship, I think. I, I think it's one I don't know off ship. the top of my head. I mean, I did play the game to prepare for this episode. <laughs> I did. I and uh, the seventy eight hundred version, by the way, doesn't have the speech. The only speech it has is the fighter pilots needed in sector wars speech. Uh, Bob had tried to put all the speech in it, but it just slowed things down too much, so he only left that one but on. But to be fair, that's all you really need. Yeah, and uh, for the warp countdown, it just has a countdown on the screen rather than with the the voice. But other than that, it's a really, really it's fun. Port. It's addicting. And uh, let's see, uh, high scores, by the way. Uh, high this scores. Is, both of these scores from the scoreboards I'm going to talk about are based on the factory settings, which is three lives with an extra life at 10,000 points. Now, Twin Galaxies shows Gus Pappas as having the world record verified by referee on November 20th, 1982. And uh, his score was 299,100. Yeah, this is a low-scoring game, folks. Uh, it's a it's a, diff, it's a very challenging... I don't want to say, go so much as to say difficult, but it's very challenging. And Orcade.com, a, um, we haven't spelled that out in a long time. A-U-R-C-A-D-E. It almost sounded like you wanted to put a Q in there. I like Qs. What can I say? Arquade. And I will com. read what I have in my notes. Faco Tree default settings, or is it Faco Try? I don't know. Um, let's see the Faco tree uh, needed in sector wars. Play Astro Blaster. The high score that Orcade.com has is from Tim Vermeulen. Um, not Vermilion, Vermeulen. Uh, Tim scored 64,180, and that was during T20 tournament at Galloping Ghost on September 1st, 2017. And just to clarify things, I live closer to Tim Vermeulen than I do to the Vermilion River. So just throw oh, something out well, there. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Now, having said that, we have Gus Pappas and Tim Vermeulen. There's another cat named Doug Bailey who says that he scored over 300,000 points on Astro Blaster in Ocean City, Maryland on their boardwalk in the summer of 1982, although he admits he can't prove it. He said he cycled through all of the sectors three times. Hmm. I remain skeptical. Well, you're always skeptical. Oh, so, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that is uh, Astro Blaster. And I'm going to admit, it's not one of my go-to games when I say go to the Galloping Ghost. I'll play it once in a while, but you know, it's it's just my own personal thing. Uh, my rating, the number of continues I'm going to give it, I'm going to say a strong three, meaning that I might be able to be pushed into a four territory-ish place there of perhaps... Uh, maybe if I perhaps. spend even more time with it, I, I really don't know. But right now, a three, but a strong three. You know, I'm going to give this one a four. Hmm, um, okay. Because um, 
I recently uh, went to the Galloping Ghost. I took uh, a day off of work because I needed it for my head. And uh, I went in there and I played uh, quite a few rounds of Astro Blaster. And even though I liked the game, I liked it uh, even more after playing it for a few rounds. And so, huh. uh, yeah, uh, it bumped my three to a four. So, oh, that's lovely. So, yeah, I, I really like this game. It's um, And the thing that sells it the most is the speech. I mean, hmm. the gameplay is awesome, but that speech is just... Um, is A machine is telling you to join the army, you know? <laughs> I mean, come on, that's awesome. I'm kind of questioning the logic behind it. Fighter pilots needed in sector wars. That sounds pretty freaking serious. Fighter pilots needed in yeah. sector wars. It sounds like and then it's it tells you play Astro Blaster. It's like, uh, wait, what? Well, how's that going to help the sector wars? It feels kind of like a last starfighter thing where they're like That's trying what to train you, train you, you know? <laughs> wow. Good game. Good game. So, good game. Good game. Woo-hoo. Huzzah, Astro Blaster. Huzzah. That was a retroactive huzzah. Yes. And let's do a proactive huzzah for Avalanche. Huzzah, Avalanche. Yes, Avalanche. This is a classic, well, maybe not classic, but this is a black and white uh, game from Atari, uh, circa 1978. What's black and white? Yeah, it's black and I white. I could have sworn I was color when I played it in ROM. I'll have to it check is, my actual machine because I don't advocate color, playing. But in the arcade, it's a black and white game, which With the color overlay? was provided by an overlay. Aha, okay. Aha. So it's technically a black and white game. They just use a little special effects to uh, to make it color. Aha. But um, the object of the game is to catch rocks that are avalanching or being involved in an avalanche or whatever. There are six rows of 32 boulders, and each boulder... Each boulder has a different point value. The ones in the lowest in the lowest level are one point. The one above it are two points, three points, four points, five points, six points. And each row of boulders is a little bit smaller than the one before. You also have six paddles that you move back and forth using your paddle controller. You do have a launch or a launch button or whatever. The paddles by the the paddles by the way are arranged vertically and stacked on top of each other. Yes, the, the you have six paddles. They're arranged vertically. The object is to catch the boulders as they fall. And um, each time you catch one, you catch one row, and then the next row, as I said, you score a, another extra point, and the sound effect for the uh, the boulder gets a little bit higher pitched. And all the while, you hear like this noise sound effect. It's, I guess it's supposed to sound like an avalanche coming down a mountain, but I just find the no- sound irritating. It gets louder and louder and louder as you progress in the game. And once you clear a screen... You move to the next one, but you start with fewer paddles. Uh, The first screen, you start with six paddles. The second screen, I believe you start with three, then two, and then one. One interesting thing about this game is uh, it doesn't have a marquee. The name of the game is actually printed on the bezel, and the bezel takes up the whole front of the the screen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, I can kind of see... Yeah, I'm looking at, at the uh, at a picture of the cabinet. There is kind of a marquee, but not really in the server. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, each subsequent level, you start with fewer fewer paddles, and every time you catch a row of rocks, you lose one paddle off of your stack of paddles. When the very topmost row of boulders starts falling down then you only got one paddle at the bottom. And not only do you lose one, but the larger you play, they get narrower and narrower and narrower. Well, what happens 
is uh, you can miss, you can have three misses. <laughs> They're into polyamory. Um, and if you score a certain number of points, you get an additional miss. So yeah, polyamory. But um, the manual doesn't call them misses, even though on the screen, on the actual game screen, it does say, you know, misses. And it has a number there. Um, but in the uh, in the manual, they call them heats. So if you score a certain number of points, I believe it's 450 points, uh, you get a uh, extended play, which means you get one additional miss. So there you go. And um, that's really all there is to the game. Uh, it, it's really kind of simple. Um, game didn't really garner a lot of popularity, uh, mainly because uh, another game was released in 1978, which made uh, every other game that was released that year pretty much ignored. And... Uh, that game was Space Invaders that was released the same year. So, I don't know. Um, and, of course, after you've, you know, completed all six rows, you go to another screen with more, you know, obviously with more rocks and uh, and that. Uh, oh, here's an interesting bit of trivia. The maximum score you can get on each level is 687 points. There are no bonuses, no nothing, just a straight-up, you know, straight-up scoring is easy to figure out. And... Um, now the arcade game was programmed and designed by game by a guy named Dennis Kobel, no relation, and uh, no, and no relation to the Kobol operating system either, or programming oh. language, I should say. However, that having been said, he did actually also design the only home port of the arcade game, and yes, there was an official home port of Avalanche, and that is on the Atari 400-800 computer, which uh, I have been playing that a lot recently too, and. Um, you can use the paddle controllers on that, and uh, it's uh, it's extremely faithful to the arcade game. That's really all there is to say about this game. I like it. I mean, it's it's a I, you know what? I'll just go right off right now and just say I'm going to rate this a three. It's a fun little game. I I've been playing it on my Atari 8-bit computer, and I've been playing it in emulation because there's no arcades anywhere around here that has it. And to yeah. be frankel, be frankel, to Wait, be Victor frank, uh, I've never seen it in the arcade ever. Yeah, me neither. I, I never heard of it until you suggested that we cover it at some and point. And I have so. played it off and on in MAME over the years. Yeah, when, when I loaded it up in MAME, it was because, you know, my copy of the arcade game is actually in storage. Oh, so, of course. Yeah. Because remember, I don't advocate, you know. Piracy. No. Emulate, uh, yeah, of mm -hmm. course. It was nothing like I thought it was, because I'm thinking Avalanche, oh, snowstorms and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, no, it's basically reverse breakout. Mm -hmm. Oh, but you know where they do have it, though. The Route 66 Arcade yep. Museum in Atlanta, Illinois, and Star yep. Wars World's Arcade in DeKalb, Illinois. Yeah, yeah. And I, I say we, I still say we go. Me and you need to do a road trip, and hit the arcade in Atlanta, Illinois, and the other one the same guy owns in uh, McLean, Illinois, both just south of uh, Bloomington, and and just hit those up just to just just to go there. Last time I was through that area, I dropped off a bunch of Pie Factory business cards, Ooh. and um, fun little arcades. They still use the tokens and. In that, but uh, fun little arcades, and they're definitely worth a visit. Visit if you're ever driving from Chicago to St. Louis, or if you want to escape St. Louis and go to Chicago. It, it, they're worth, both of them are worth a stop in. And in fact, the one in McLean has a the one in Atlanta is just one in one building, but the one in McLean is actually in two buildings across the town square from each other. One is video games, and the other one is pretty much all pinball machines. And uh, like I said, definitely worth a stop in. It's uh, Oh yeah, the one with all the pinball machines is in an old bank. It looks like, so yeah. Uh, so. And they also have it at Grinker's Grand Palace in Eagle, Idaho. I'd love to go there sometime. Uh, and yes, the International I do want to go there. Center for the History of Electronic Games in Rochester, New York. And I want to go there too. 
which I think that's attached to the National Toy Museum. I think my friend Neil is from Rochester. He goes out there a couple of times a year, I think. I'll have to ask him to uh, check it out. So there you go. Um, yeah. That, in a, yeah, I was going to, I'm not going to say nutshell, but their gravy boat. There, in capsule form, is, uh, is the game Avalanche. So Speaking of which, you have tablets, you have capsules, and medicine companies have combined the two to make caplets. Mm-hmm. Why have they not made tabsules yet? Probably because of something you did to anger God, Tommy. Huh. I'm sorry. <laughs> by the way, in your research, uh, I'm guessing that this game was programmed by Discrete Logic. I couldn't tell you. you. Because I don't. Th- I think this was before CPUs were used in video games. Well, it came out the same time as Space Invaders, so I don't know. Yeah, you I, might think, right. I think that was discrete logic too, which means if I understand correctly, discrete logic basically means that, hey, there's no CPU. What they do is they take certain chips and basically solder them in a certain arrangement. Each chip has its own function. So you program it basically by lining up the chips on the motherboard. Mm-hmm. For, that's definitely how Pong was made. And that's why you literally cannot emulate Pong because it's not done in software. It's 100% hardware. Right. And I have a feeling Avalanche might be that way as well. It's entirely possible. But like I said, the same guy created the Atari 8-bit version, which is really exactly the same as the arcade. So, you know, take that for what well, it's then worth. Well, again, then again, if that's the case, then maybe it was programmed. Maybe it does have a CPU in it. It's possible. Which means it wouldn't be discrete logic. Um, you know what? It's time to cheat. Oh? It's, yeah, I'm going to go look it up right now. You know what? I could probably find that information because I got the actual manual up right here. Avalanche, uh, 2D module, arcade video game, Sunnyvale. Um, let's see. Oh no, it's oh yeah, oh yeah, it's yeah, it's discrete circuitry. Well, oh okay, oh here no, here's what it is. It does have a CPU. It has a 6502 CPU in it, but the sound is done via discrete circuitry. Okay. So the game itself is done by actual programming through software but the sound is done through hardware according to this it's got a bezel a button a chassis a switch mtg plate assembly a lamp socket a lamp a switch cherry uh, machine screws a screw button socket a nut a washer a jumper wire black and a washer split lock number six well yeah we already know that yeah that's true that's why we never mention it yeah and I have a guess about this game based on my experience playing the arcade version of Super Breakout. Oh? Like, what's the controller on Avalanche? It's a dial, a rotary, a paddle thing. Yeah, it's a rotary. Yeah. Super Breakout, which is also an Atari title from around the same time, has the rotary. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's not smooth moving like, say, the paddle controller on a 2600 or, say, on Tempest. Right. It has like little stops on it, so it's like it's not just a smooth move and hurry up and move. So you actually you actually have to give it some pressure. It's kind of annoying to work. I think Circus works the same way. Actually, it's not an Atari title. I think it's Exidy, but I'm pretty sure Circus's rotary controller is like that too, where it's not a smooth rotation. Mm-hmm. And that that yeah, can be really can, annoying. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I'm looking at the parts list here, see if I can find anything. But I am not finding anything cause, mainly because I don't know how to read these things. Oh. So, tr- uh, 50k ohm trim pot. That wouldn't be it though, because this is a this thing rotates round and round and round. It's uh, it's not a paddle. 
But you know what, though? I've never seen the arcade game, so I couldn't tell you. It might be something that goes round and round. It might not be. Hmm. Well, I think this is, hmm. this calls for more research, actually. Yeah. Got to get the important stuff out of the way, you know? Well, yeah. Uh, control panel assembly. Okay. Um, yeah, I could be looking at this forever. By the way, the monitor is uh, Motorola. And not only is it a Motorola, but they actually have the Motorola logo in the service manual. Oh. So, yeah. And this was released under Atari's name, was it? It wasn't yes. released under Key Games? No, this was an Atari release. Okay. Okay, cool. Yep. I mean, yeah, Key Games is Atari, but... Uh, it is and it isn't. They didn't know back... Or did they? Uh, they had to have known. Oh, of course. So there you go. So... Yeah. Want to talk about uh, high scores? No, but I have to to remain consistent. Sure you do. So let me see. High scores on this here game... This is based on factory settings, by the way. Three misses per game, extended play at 450 points, uh, which already tells us this is a low-scoring game, Avalanche is. This is interesting. On the Twin Galaxies scoreboard, there were only three scores, and they were all listed as verified by referee on the same date, which is March 21st, 2004. So I'm guessing, guessing this was at some kind of a tournament. Uh, I'm just going to read all three of the scores listed on Twin Galaxies. Number three, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, and somebody needs to t- teach his parents how to spell. Hmm. Uh, Sean Cram, 597 points. Number two, Jason Cram, 1,334 points. And number one, David Nelson with 2,453 points. Oh, wow. Well, one thing we can say is that all three of these guys got extended play. Oh, of course. Uh, now, Orcade.com is kind of weird. First of all, they don't tell you what the settings are on their track. And uh, there's actually a tie for first place, and both on the same exact day, October 14th, 2017, which very well might be a year to the day before this episode is released. Oh, dude, that was yeah. not intentional. That was so not intentional. So the two people who have the exact same score, David Stearns and Scotty Hardesty, or Hardesty, I don't know how his name's pronounced, sorry, Scotty, and they are both listed as scoring 2085, both during Grinkfest at Grinker's Grand Palace in Eagle, Idaho. Gotta go there. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to go there. Oh, according to Grinker's uh, website, they are open Labor Day from 11 to 10. Wow, great. Yeah, so, Labor Day. um... So I'll know that for if I decide to go there on Labor Day in 11 months. Yep. Wow. So um, that is it. Um, oh, I didn't give my rating for... Um, no, you didn't. In giving my rating, I'm trying to consider that this is a very old game. Yeah. In terms of... Well, then again, it's from 1978. I mean, it's not that freaking old. I mean, Asteroids is from 79. I would have been 10, so that was 40 years ago. I was four. Hmm. Actually, possibly even three let's see this was released uh when was it released it was released in 1978 april 1978 i was three i wasn't four yet so wow but i'm gonna have to say three continues from from me three out of five continues that's i'm going with a three out of five as well it's a fun little game it's a it's an interest it's a interesting piece of history um yeah now some as i was mentioning some people claim that it didn't get as popular as it could have because Space Invaders came and swallowed up all the quarters or tokens or whatever. I don't know if I buy that. I don't think this game would have been a huge resounding success, but it's it's still no. good for a few plays. I just want to see a, a, an arcade version of this one 
So my well, speaking of which, I don't think I mentioned it in this podcast. I don't think either of us mentioned this in this podcast. But uh, we're talking. I mentioned earlier about how basically Avalanche feels like a reverse breakout. Yeah, it does. And the thing about that is, we're talking about Space Invaders sucking away its popularity, although we can't really say for sure. Mm-hmm. Space Invaders was actually intended to be a breakout clone. Mm-hmm. And you can feel so it. So that's an interesting little yeah. tidbit there. But Space Invaders came out around the same time, though. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, true, true. But I think, you know what, though? I think before we go too much further... We should reveal the theme for this episode. We don't have a theme for this episode. Are you kidding me? Yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do, Mama Jama. The theme for this episode is games that Activision ripped off for their own 2600 titles. What? What? (laughs) Ooh, that was in stereo. Yeah, well, first of all, Kaboom is an obvious ripoff of Avalanche. It has a similar... It's basically the same game. The only difference is in... This game, for each row of bombs that, or each row of rocks, you lose a paddle, whereas in Kaboom, each time you miss a a bomb, you lose a bucket. That's the only real difference between the two games. that, and I think the prisoner, like, comes down toward you one level. Ah. Which means that the bombs that he's dropping actually have less distance to fall. I suck at Kaboom, so I couldn't tell you, but that would not surprise me. So, yeah, um, Kaboom is basically a ripoff of Avalanche. And well, okay there, genius. Now tell me how Astro Blaster was ripped off by Activision. Mega Mania. Oh. If you play the game, there are several enemies that look exactly like the enemies in Mega Mania. Oh. They move the same exact patterns as in Mega Mania. I love Mega Mania. Mega Mania is a great game, but... and Oh, and Mega Mania also has the energy bar. The only difference is it uh, only works really as a timer per level in Mega Mania... Whereas in Astro Blaster, uh, you have to eventually refill it in one of two different ways by either shooting uh, like little glowing asteroids or yes. comets or by docking with the ship, which the docking scene yes. is not in Mega Mania. But Mega Mania is a ripoff of Astro Blaster. Yeah. I remember having how- said that in Mega Mania, if you set the difficulty switch for difficulty B, your shots actually, you can actually control the direction of your shots. Mm-hmm. In the 7800 homebrew of Astro Blaster, that is also an option. There you go. And um, yeah, it's, I remember I was playing Astro Blaster in emulation a couple of years ago. And I got to this one level where these enemies came on the screen, I'm like, those look like the, the, uh, the steam irons from the 2600 version of Mega Mania. And they came on the screen, and they're moving in the same pattern. And then eventually, Mind I think there are like uh, there are like diamonds that come on the screen that move in the same pattern, and they're lay- and they're arranged in the same form in the same format as they are in Mega Mania. Mega Mania is a ripoff of Astro Blaster, and Kaboom is a ripoff of Avalanche. It's blatant. I mean, obviously, uh, the guys from Activision used to work for Atari, and Atari made Avalanche, but somebody had to have seen Astro Blaster in the arcade at some point. Because there are just way too many similarities between the two. I remember reading in an interview with, um, I don't remember who it was, maybe it was David Miller with Activision, in a magazine, and they were talking about the game Robot Tank, and somebody pointed out that, uh, hey, Robot Tank uh, looks and feels a lot like uh, Battlezone. And um, and he responded, doesn't that uh, violate uh, Activision's philosophy of not uh, doing any arcade game adaptations? And the guy from Activision was like, 
there is no legal hold on the on the on the concept of a tank game through the eyes of the tank or something like that. And I'm like thinking, oh come on, you had to have seen Battle Zone. There's just no way you couldn't have. Yes. So uh, yeah. Oh, no so yeah. One of my former coworkers is mayor of Patterson now. Huh. Really? Yeah. Oh well, that was good to interrupt my fact, little. Actually, spiel about. he he actually trained me in one topic. Actually, anyway. Really? Oh, neat. Anyway. So yes, that is the theme, and the aren't theme. you happy? You 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 you're all more intelligent people for knowing this. And yep. again, uh, I think we need to do a road trip to the arcades down south of Bloomington, Illinois, or to the uh, or to uh, Star Worlds over in DeKalb, or maybe both. Star Worlds got a uh, uh, what was the Pac-Man game? Oh, but was it Battle Royale? Yes, they got they just got Pac-Man Battle Royale over there. I need to go over there and check it out. I wonder if they moved their arcade. They were talking about moving because they were outgrowing the spot they were in, which the spot they were in was really, really tiny. I'm amazed they had as many games in there as they had. Well, yeah, and I know they rotate games in and out. Right. So, uh, so yeah, if we go there expecting to play Avalanche, we might not get to play Avalanche, depending on what the rotation is right. like that Unless day. we make arrangements with the guys over there to do it. Because that they, is true. When we, talk, yeah. when we talked about the... Uh, uh, the red tent. I uh, asked them if they had it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we could bring one in so you could try it out." And so I was trying it out, and that. So yeah, so they were they were good about that. So um, yeah, good guys over there. So there you go. That's today's there episode. There I go. Yep. Yeah, and um, you know what? There are some uh, peeps. Start again. Thank our peeps. We we need to thank some peeps. Yes. And, uh, we need to thank the yellow ones that are shaped like chicks. The pink First of all, I uh, just want to acknowledge that this episode has been underwritten by Climax Jerky for your beef, buffalo, and elk meat needs. And we thank the following people. Underground Retrocade, Tim Foley, Steve Steiner, Rory Coleman, Richard Grounds, Richard Valdez, PJ Steele, Nate Lockhart, New Balance Stores, Phoenix, Art Guglielmo, Atari Bites, D. Alex, Greg Polander, Jonas Rulo, Keith Sheehan, and Kyle Etter, and Michael D'Angelo. I wonder if we're played in the New Balance store in Phoenix, actually, over the intercom system. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Maybe we should do a, an episode about shoes. Find a Ooh. couple of games that have something to do with shoes. Too bad that I that my knowledge of shoes is, like, for squat. And you would have to really be wearing shoes to do a perfect squat. That's... Well, to do a perfect one, you'd have to have the correct shoes. It depends on how you define perfect, but the reason that we thank all of those kind people is that they help us out through patreon.com. Mm-hmm. And also a big thank you to Steve Tui at Tuiville.com, T-O-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E. Thank you, Steve, for scheduling Pie Factory Podcast among your schedule of shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a reminder, everybody, I'm going to be participating in Extra Life this year, and it would be really, really nice if uh, you could send a few bucks uh, my way for that, and that money will go to Lurie Children's Hospital in the Chicago here. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, game day will be November 3rd. My wife actually asked me to get a hotel because she doesn't want me to, because I'm going to be at Underground Retrocade that day from open to close, and she doesn't want me trying to drive home at 1 a.m. after having my eyes like glazed staring over. at screens all day. <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea actually. Yeah, and uh, maybe oh, you I could stay with uh, maybe 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 you could talk to. Uh, we got some friends up there. Maybe you could talk to them. I already booked. Oh, you did? 
Yeah. Book. Oh, we're, uh, I'm booking it. <laughs> booking yep, it to the yep. hotel. Uh, oh, I should bring a book with me too, so I can have something to read. Uh, Skeptics but Guide yeah, to well, the Universe. It's a new book. I'm we, reading it. It's really good. Oh, I can't wait to read Eric Idle's book. That's looking pretty good. I flipped through it a little bit. I want to check that one out. And I'll I'll see if you can. Hmm. hmm. Um. Let me see. Um. Yeah. No. That's um. Our, all of our thank yous. Uh, should we so, reveal the theme or should we uh, reveal no, the games we're going to talk about for the next episode? Yes. Please tell us what games we're going to be discussing next. Yeah. We're going to be talking about uh, Space Encounters and Buck Rogers and the Planet of Zoom. Hmm. Yes. And that will be for episode 85. That's 85 for those keeping 85. Score. So Space Encounters and Buck Rogers and the Planet of Zoom. I was yeah. playing Space Encounters earlier. So. And today, oh, I wasn't. I was. And uh, uh-huh. uh, just going to let you know right now, if you're emulating it, mouse. Oh, really? Use a mouse for space it comes. So okay. I, don't, I think uh, Buck Rogers is just joystick. So there you go. So Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, tune back into us in the next couple of weeks, and we will have these. We'll have another... Yeah, I can't say exciting, can't say worthwhile. Can't say boring either. We don't want adequate. to promise boring. Another adequate episode of Pie Factory adequate, Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it's adequate, yeah. so we'll shut the door on this one. And, and uh, there it goes. And um, Sean coming for you from Pie Factory Headquarters North. And Jimmy G, Pie Factory, Morris South, blah, blah, blah. There you go. Yep, weekly journal. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goebel. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Oh my god, yes, dude. The Atari 2600 Donkey Kong Jr. manual does indeed have the fun of discovery on it. Yes. <laughs> You'll have more fun discovering stuff than actually playing the game. <laughs> and I know yeah. I did. <laughs> hey, did you hear the song that I wrote that I contributed to Ferg? Oh. Um, about about uh, the... Uh, it was to the tune of the John Denver song about Spiro Agnew. No. Uh, and the lyrics were, I'll sing you a song of Donkey Kong Jr. and all the ways it doesn't suck. And that was the end of the song. Oh, maybe I have. I have to listen again. I was, I was proud of that. Wait, did he do Donkey Kong Jr.? Oh, yes, he did. Why else would I have done that? I have to listen to that episode again. I know I know. I had to have contributed to that one because of my proud moment in finding the one bug in that game. Oh, the one bug. Yeah, I'm sure there's well, the only one. Well, the one bug that I found. <laughs> oh, I just see we got a you got a message from, or not a message, a notification from William Pepper on Facebook. The Emmett Otter soundtrack will be re- released on vinyl. Oh, wow. Huh. Was part of Record Store Day, perhaps? I don't know. Huh. Got the story from toughpigs.com. Yep, annual record day event on November 23rd. Ah. Yeah, participating record stores. Quantity is like, Limited quantity of 1,800. I don't know if I necessarily want the whole soundtrack. Just one or two of the songs will be good for me. But it's a collectible. It'll go up in value. Then you can sell it to some schmuck. I don't care. Music was made to be listened to and games were meant to be played. Yeah, schmucks can get it, but this schnook is only going to care about one or two songs. Don't be a schmuck. Be a schmuck.